Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest, and the rest, please be seated. My name is Stephen Gross, and I'm one of the elders here at Grace. We are currently in a series called Seven Psalms and Seven Signs. And I think the idea of this uh, was that each week a different person would introduce a different psalm. Um, and I'm starting that, but I'm not going to go with the plan that was set out. Um, so this evening, or this morning, I'm going to look at a handful of psalms. So it's going to turn out that you end up getting ten psalms for the price of seven. You're so lucky. Um, and Daniel, sorry for messing up the title. In 2004, a man named Frank Warren started the Post-Secret Project. Perhaps you've heard of it. He sent out 3,000 postcards all across the world to random people and asked them to write on these postcards secrets in their lives, confessions, if you will. And then he asked them to send them back, and they would be completely anonymous. It's kind of a strange idea, isn't it? But it became wildly popular. Since 2004, over a half a million people have sent Frank Warren postcards with all sorts of confessions on them. He now has a website that he updates 10 new cards each week, and you're welcome to look at the website after our time together. (laughs) He also has on this website over a quarter of a billion views. This has struck something deep. I want to share a few examples of what people send to him. I'll read them just in case you can't from where you're sitting. I wish I hadn't been too afraid to be myself before I got married. I'm very happy in my marriage, but I feel like I cheated myself. Next. 
To whom it may concern, you are not hiring the person on my resume. Sincerely, a liar. <laughs> I never told you, but I was on my way home to swallow all of the medicines that day you saw me at the bus stop and gave me a hug. Thank you. Sometimes I wish my mom would put the pieces together on her own. I don't have the heart to tell her I'm not straight. I think everyone else's secrets are slowly but surely saving my life. And this is some of the feedback that Frank Warren gets again and again, that there's something that has been so freeing in reading other people's secrets and realizing that they're not much different than their own. I want to share a few more examples, but I don't have pictures for them. You'll have to use your imagination. I hope he doesn't turn out like me on a picture of a child's face with his eyes covered with writing. I have two master's degrees and a doctorate, but I still feel like a failure with the F written in red ink on a picture of a cap, tassel, and diploma. I don't know how to go back to God, and I want that more than anything else in the world, with a picture of praying hands. This project is absolutely fascinating to me on so many levels, but one thing that it bears so much testimony to is how much we hold in. How much of our life is lived in secrecy. How much we bear alone. And so it's no surprise that there's something so compelling and so freeing to finally being able to express some of this stuff. Even if no one knows it's your story that's being told. Even in anonymity, there is freedom. So why do I bring up this this morning? I think that the Psalms invite us into this level of disclosure. The Psalms invite us to be this honest with what's really going on inside. But how they differ dramatically from this project is that they invite us to be this honest in a relationship, this honest with God. In fact, the entire book of Psalms exists to teach us how to bring every aspect of our lives before God in honest speech. And it's just not easy to do. And so the Psalms give us words so that we can put um, voice to some of our experiences that often stay hidden to put words to parts of our lives that impact us so much, but are often out of everyone's sight, as our opening prayer made mention. And this honesty opens up new possibilities in the relationship. In my experience, um, there have been many seasons where my own relationship with God has become quite routine stagnant and lifeless. We kind of operate, you do this, I do this, and this is how we're just going to relate. And over time, it, it, it just lacks vitality. 
And at least for me, the result was is that my faith became largely this cognitive way or intellectual way of viewing the world to make sense of the world, but the relationship had dropped out. The Psalms counter that. They invite us into an honesty that opens back up the relationship, that dislodges us from the routine and stagnant ways of relating to God. So my objective this morning is simple. I want to walk you through a few psalms, and I want you to hear with your own ears what this honest speech sounds like. What really is permissible in this relationship? When we say we bring all of our life before God, what are we really talking about? Let's look at the psalms. Um, We're going to be jumping around, and so if you're really savvy with your smartphone, Bible app thing, awesome, and you're like quick moving and you're dexterous, awesome. But if you're like me and you're clumsy and miss most of the things that are going on because you're trying to find the right spot, grab the Bible underneath you, and we'll do it old school with real bound books and paper. We're going to turn to Psalm 22. It is page 457 in the Blue Bibles. Page 457. This is a psalm of lament. Lament is a fancy word that means crying out or voicing pain before God. And this is kind of like jumping into the deep deep area of the pool right now. Um, But we do so, and I start here, because at least half of the book of Psalms are laments, up to two-thirds, depending on how you count. And so I want you to hear how descriptive, how honest the psalmist is, in this case David, about his experience. Look with me at verse 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. It's one thing that the psalmist's life is in distress, but to make things worse is despite all the groans, all the bids for God to pay attention, it does not seem as though he is. In the midst of David's pain, God seems far away. And what is absolutely remarkable to me is that David is not afraid to name that as his experience. God, I am in a life and death situation, and you're going to abandon me now? I think if David read this prayer in a contemporary church, people might stop him and say, whoa, 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 whoa. That's blasphemous. David, you need to trust God. You're not trusting God enough, David. And at least I can imagine David's response being something like, Are you kidding? This is exactly what you do when you trust God. It is because I have this history, it is because I know God to be faithful, that I do cry out. And so David continues to name that God's silence is not what he's used to. Look at with me in verse 3 and 4. 
Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. God, you have a track record of being reliable and answering. But where are you now? There's just one more thing I want us to see in Psalm 22. I want you to hear how descriptive David is about his experience. Skip down to verse 14 with me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot sherd. Imagine like a dusty, dry old piece of uh, ceramic. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Do you hear the agony? One thing that strikes me about this is it sounds like David has no shame in praying this way. David has complete confidence that he can be brutally honest about how crushing it feels when God seems far away, when God has gone silent. And some people resist praying this way because they say it's disrespectful to do that. You don't talk to God like that. Or or it's going to diminish the relationship or you're kind of giving up on the relationship to talk that way. But it's quite the opposite. A marriage isn't over when there's heated Argument. A marriage is over when there's not much more to be said. It is the silencing of complaint that is the death of intimacy. It is the silencing of complaint that is the death of intimacy. And so in the Psalms, pain gets voiced no matter how things turn out. And the Psalms don't only write down the complaints or the hurts and the pains when there's a happy ending to it, when things have worked out. They bring difficult moments to speech regardless of the outcome. But for a fully genuine and vital relationship with God, we need language that travels with us not only through the valleys, but onto the mountaintops as well. Our pain, our laments, our cries are certainly part of our experience, but they're not the totality of our experience. Sometimes God does show up. Sometimes there is rescue. God does hear and respond. And in these cases, praise rises out of lament. And the psalmist is very intentional to give voice not only to the hurts, but into the rescue, to the gratitude and thanksgiving. He speaks to the disorientation and to the new orientation. Let's look at Psalm 30 for an example, page 461. Psalm 30, page 461. And we're going to jump down to verse 8 because it's kind of a summary. To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death 
if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. The prayer begins recounting that the psalmist has been crying out, and he even had been using some rhetorical questions to try and get God to act. God, you want me to praise you. Can I praise you from the pit? Then you might want to do something about this. And we aren't exactly sure what happens, but we know that God answers the psalmists, and the prayer moves into praise. Pick up with me in verse 11. You have turned for me mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Honest speech isn't just about voicing pain, it's also about voicing the gratitude. And I just don't think that that's as easy as it seems. At least it's not for me. Now, when things start to shift and go well and it's been hard and all of a sudden things look bright again, I have no problem being like, yeah, praise God for that, that was great. But what I have a hard time doing is actually fully entering into that moment and entering into the gratitude. Because it triggers a real fear for me. And the fear is that I'm going to name this thing that has changed as God's rescue or his restoration, and what if it changes? I will be standing there having given this great uh, prayer of gratitude with egg on my face, looking like a fool. And so better to be reserved. (laughs) Better to hold back and see what happens. But the psalmist says, no, trust. (laughs) When God steps in, the response that is honest is praise and gratitude. And if I can just say something as an aside, um, the psalms exist in these two extremes. Lament, and praise, and that basically makes up most of the entire book. One moment the psalmist can be completely self-consumed, unable to see past his distress, his hurt, his current experience. And in these moments, the psalmist has no problem claiming the self. He has no problem seeing that he is a real partner in the relationship and that he has a voice. But in other moments, the psalmist surrenders the self in praise. And that, may, that praise may come out of lament, or it may simply come from the overflow of the psalmist's heart. Psalm 150 is an iconic example. We're not going to go there, but there's just this repetition of praise. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. And on and on it goes. And the psalmist's experience is nowhere to be found. He has abandoned himself in relishing who God is. He is like the lover who becomes enraptured in his beloved. And it's this range this ability to move from claiming the self to surrendering the self, from lament to praise that keeps the relationship dynamic. 
open, genuine. Let's look at another example. Psalm 109, page 508. I know I'm putting you to work today. Psalm 109, page 508. I promise we only have ten more to go. Just kidding. Here, too, uh, David is having problems with his enemies. This is a big theme in the Psalms. But this time there is revenge in his heart. So how does one pray when they have been deeply wronged? Well, the psalm opens up and David is honest about how much he's been slandered. How his name has been literally dragged through the mud. But what I want to focus our attention on is what David asks God to do in this prayer. Look at verse 6 with me. Appoint a wicked man against him. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tried, let him come forth guilty. Let his prayer be counted as sin. May his days be few. May another take his office. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children wander about and beg, seeking food far from the ruins they inhabit. May the creditor seize all that he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his toil. Let there be none to extend him kindness, nor any to pity his fatherless children. Wow. Isn't that a little embarrassing? Like, that's a little too much. For some reason, David has the audacity to ask God to ruin the life of his enemy and his enemy's children. And don't we think in a biblical prayer that the the one praying might say, God, remove these bad thoughts from me. (laughs) Or or help me to forgive this person. But David says, no, get them. (laughs) How did this end up in Scripture? What's this have to teach us? Well, I think it's there to say yes. Yes, you can entrust even your most angry self, even your most precious hatreds to God. In fact, that's exactly what you're supposed to do. You're not supposed to hold them in and let them grow into bitterness. You're not supposed to act out on them and get revenge or spread gossip in return. You're to bring them in raw, passionate speech to the one who listens. Let's look at one final psalm, I promise. Psalm 73. It's page 485 in the Blue Bibles. Psalm 73. Remember, the psalms give speech to all different aspects of life. And here we find the psalmist having a crisis of faith. He looks around the world and he sees those outside of the faith absolutely flourishing, while those inside the faith are floundering. And what do you do, according to the psalms, when you have a crisis of faith? You tell God about it, of course. 
So in this prayer, there's this long list of all the things that David or the psalmist looks out and sees, ways that the, the, the person outside of the faith, the faith is thriving. And it, we could read all of that, but I just want to take a sample of it. Look at verse 12 with me. Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease they increase in riches. All in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. Perhaps God's way isn't worth all this trouble. Maybe there's a better way. I mean, maybe we shouldn't be putting all this effort into trying to live like Christ or all this effort into trying to get along in the community together when apparently it's those outside of the faith whose life actually looks good. In essence, the prayer is saying, God, I'm not sure your way works after all. And if you ask me, that is pretty courageous speech to the Holy One of Israel. And what is beautiful to me about this prayer is that the the one praying doesn't think, I'm going to come up with a philosophical system to make sense of this. Nor does he keep it in and quietly exit the back of the church. No, he brings it into the sanctuary, into the presence of God. Look at with me in verse 17. But when I thought how to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, And then I discerned their end. It is in the sanctuary of God, it is in the meeting with God, that the psalmist has a change of perspective. And what he realizes is that the reason that faith is worth all this work is because there God is. And he doesn't want any life that doesn't involve this partnership with God. But it happens through the encounter. And listen to how the psalmist's tone changes. Look at with me in verse 23. Listen to how tender the words. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't think that you ever get to these tender and beautiful words to God unless you go through the hard work of being honest about the struggle. Allow me to make a a few reflections about why I think that we don't pray like this, or why it's hard to, at least. One of the things that I've heard a lot is, look, God already knows what's going on in my heart. I don't need to tell him. There's no point. He gets it. He knows. My son, Landon, um, is absolutely in love with a baseball. 
and he's getting to the age where everybody starts taking it a whole lot more serious. Uh, the, the players do, the coaches definitely do, and the parents do. And Kimmy and I are definitely those parents. <laughs> Kimmy and I experience so much anxiety during these games that it is embarrassing. Win or lose, we are just uptight. Kimmy's biting her nails, and I'm just like, <gasps> the entire game. And I know some of you are judging me right now, and you're saying your identity is too wrapped up into it, and you need to separate, and it means too much to you. I know. <laughs> I'm working on it. <laughs> but last week um, was one of the more difficult games for us. Landon was in a playoff game. They had a substantial lead. It was 14 to 6. And they put Landon in to be the uh, relief pitcher, which is awesome. And Landon goes in, and Landon cannot pitch a strike. And so batter by batter, he walks each and every one of them, and batter by batter, the runs start coming in. And there's nothing we can do. The coach isn't pulling him. We're just on the sideline watching our son alone on the mound. And I'm watching his shoulders start to slump more, the frustration on his face. And I know exactly how Landon feels in this moment. I know the embarrassment of having all these people watch you walk player after player. I know the shame in that moment of losing the game for your team, especially when it seemed like it was in the bag. And I know the frustration that that day he couldn't throw a strike when most days he does a pretty decent job at it. But after the game, I don't think, I know how Landon feels, we'll leave it at that. No way. I want Landon to run up to me after that game and fall into my arms and I want him to tell me how badly that moment sucked. <laughs> how painful and embarrassing and how he, in that moment he wants to be anywhere else in the world but on that mound. I want to hear that. Do you know why? Because I want him to feel my arms comfort him. I, I want him to hear my compassion and my empathy. My, I get how disappointing this is and I love you. So yes... God knows your anxieties, your fears, your loves, your dreams, your hurts, and your pains. But it is so different when you bring them to him. If the Psalms tell us anything, it is that God deeply cares about what's going on in your life. It matters to him. More than that, it impacts him. What we see is when these, our lives are voiced before God, it actually affects him. It's what draws him close. It's what moves him to forgive. It's what causes him to heal and restore and bring new life. When we voice our hearts, it impacts him. If there's one other thing that I think um, can keep us silent and not praying like this, um, I'll at least speak for myself on this. It's that oftentimes I feel pretty disconnected from what's going on inside. 
And so if you would say, Stephen, write a praise or write a lament, I'd be like, ah, pretty good. (laughs) I'm not feeling much. A couple uh, months ago, we were at um, the most recent Psalms retreat, and we were given space to either write a prayer of gratitude or a, a, a prayer of praise. And I knew that there were some things going on in my life that I did, at least in my head, feel pretty grateful for. Um, and so I spent the time, I sat down, and I wrote a pretty extensive prayer about uh, the, the things that God had been doing and, and the ways that he'd answered. And I kind of wrote it down, and I looked at it, and I'm like, yeah, that's true. But I feel pretty far from it. So what I did is I called my buddy Corey, and um, I said, hey, man, I don't, I'm not really feeling a whole lot of this, but I know it's true, and you've walked with me for a long time, and so I just wanted to, like, share this with you. And I open up my mouth, and I don't think I get more than a sentence or two into it, and I am just hit with emotion. And I, I read the rest of the prayer to Corey, weeping in gratitude. See, sometimes it's the feelings that follow the words and not the words that follow the feelings. And so I think what that means for us is sometimes we have to open up our mouths before we realize what's going on inside. So let me ask you a few questions. When it comes to you and God, what things have gone unspoken? What have you gone silent about thinking, maybe he just doesn't care? Maybe this thing doesn't matter to him. What part of you have you kept from him? In this season, uh, we have attempted to create space for your voices to be heard. And I think you've stepped into that. And we have heard your praises and laments, your hurts and your pains and your joys about this community. And that has been hard and it has been good and we hope to continue that. But my question for you is, have you brought that stuff to God? Have you been honest with Him about what this experience has been like for you? Do you know what I think ultimately gives the psalmist the audacity to pray like this? There's this little word that is found all the way throughout the psalms, and the word is hesed. And and the quick translation is love, but it's so much more than that. This love is loyalty. It's faithfulness. It is enduring commitment over the long haul. It's something you can stand on. And it's God's has said, it is his faithful love that is what the psalmist pushes off of into daring speech. It is because of God's faithful love that the psalmist dares to say how ugly some of the stuff inside is. It is because God's faithful love the psalmist dares to say, this is how bad it hurts. It is, this, it is God's faithful love that has the psalmist praising again and again. Psalm 136, how precious is your chesed. 
your faithful love, O God. May God's faithful love open up our mouths to bring our whole lives before him. Praise be to God.